0: Part 6. Karma Our bedrooms were on opposite sides of the house, separated by the living room and kitchen. You never came to my corner of the house uninvited, so I could sneak out of my window at night with minimal effort. One night, I slipped out my window with Hemi, and we skated out of the cul-de-sac. The Sigma Chi fraternity was a few blocks down the street, and they had parties every weekend. Hemi and I snuck along the tree line, perfectly concealing us from the view of the fraternity. Several people were playing drinking games and talking loud enough for us to hear from across the field between us. We had a laser pointer that we used to torment a single frat bro that we had picked from the crowd. You could see them arguing with each other, trying to figure out who among them was doing it. They eventually triangulated our location, but there wasn't any chance they were catching us on our turf. As we ran from them, we'd hop on a fence and pull ourselves up onto a house, lay just at the apex of the roof, and then shine the laser on our selected victim until they could pinpoint us again. We knew the neighborhood so well that they could never catch us. They eventually gave up, and we decided to entertain ourselves with more mischief. The frat had chased us down the street toward that one church with the large ominous cross that was backlit with blue neon lights. We came out of our hiding spot in the ditch behind the church and realized our drunken pursuers had long since gotten back to desperately trying to get laid for the night. It was midnight, but a single car was still remaining in the church parking lot. It was a small blue Toyota Corolla with paint that had started to chip and fade on the hood and doors. Next to that car was a large gated enclosure that housed massive dumpsters. We checked to see if it was locked, and the squeaky gate slowly opened. Overjoyed. We used every ounce of our teenage muscle to push that dumpster 20 feet until it was behind the lowly Corolla, blocking it from leaving. We threw our boards down and headed for the next adventure. We were skating past a house two blocks away and saw the garage door was open and all the lights were on. The garage was empty, and no cars were in the driveway or out on the street. As a test to see if anyone was home, we rang the doorbell several times. We waited a few minutes, and when nobody came to the door, we tried the handle. When the doorknob didn't budge, we decided to go around and check the garage. Quickly, we moved through the garage and burst through the unlocked door into the mudroom that led into their kitchen. Hello, anyone home? I yelled. Dude, nobody is here. Hemi shouted excitedly as he propped his skateboard against the wall. Let's look around. I pushed him toward the back rooms as I turned around to cover the other side of the house. I walked into the living room and saw they had a nice entertainment center with waist-high speakers. I hit play on the CD player and then turned the volume up to full blast. I cringed at the sound of Eiffel 65 shaking the cabinets and walls. In the entryway by the front door, I saw a yellow Sumber's Les Paul sitting in an open guitar case and ran over to it. I carefully took it out and admired how beautiful it was before playing the opening riff of Stump by Minor Threat. In the back rooms, Hemi peed in their toilet and stole a Pepsi from the fridge. We decided we had better leave before they returned, so I carefully placed their beautiful guitar back in the case. We were more excited about them being confused by the music and mysterious pee than we were about actually taking anything from them. As we ran out of the house, the family who lived there was pulling into their garage, We cut across their lawn and skated down the street before jumping another fence and dropping into our getaway ditch. We lost them immediately and felt relatively safe as we came out of the same ditch from earlier, right behind the church. We were laughing hard and telling each other what we had seen and done in the house. Just as we were hitting the pavement again to start skating home, we saw a frail old lady slowly walking toward her blue Corolla.
1: Boys, excuse me boys.
0: She said with what sounded like a great effort.
1: Can you please help me? Somebody move this dumpster behind my car.
0: We froze. Of course, we were going to help her, but that dumpster took us ten minutes to move the first time, and we were hoping to get off the street before some pissed-off Texas homeowner with a gun found us. Emmy and I looked at each other. We were bad kids, but we weren't assholes. Come on, let's just do it real quick, I said. Man. Who would do such a thing? Hemi joked as we grunted against the rusty wheels that didn't want to roll. She was so tiny and looked so weak when she spoke. Why was she here so late? It was midnight. Why was an old lady at the church at midnight? Why couldn't it have been some dude who could move this thing himself? I guess we were lucky, though, because that lady didn't know she probably could have kicked our asses. We had just gotten the dumpster back into its enclosure when six police cars pulled into the parking lot from different directions. We didn't have time to run or formulate a plan. We were immediately blocked in and had gotten caught for any number of things we had done that night. The six police cars seemed a little excessive for a dumpster prank, so we thought there was a chance that it was just a coincidence. That is until the vehicle we saw pulling into the driveway of the house we had just broken into was following the last police car into the church parking lot. Part 7. Breaking and Entering They immediately sat us down on opposite ends of the curb. Hemi got a mean cop that was screaming at him from the moment we sat down, but I had a lovely lady cop who asked me how I was doing.
1: You okay? You look nervous.
0: She said, squatting on one knee to be at eye level with me. Yeah, I'm okay. Just surprised there are so many police here. What's going on?
1: Well, we just got a call about a home invasion by two kids with skateboards.
0: She glanced over at my skateboard.
1: Look, if you tell me it wasn't y'all, I'll believe you. If it turns out it was y'all, and you wasted our time, then you'll be in so much more trouble. As you can tell, I'm much nicer than my partner.
0: I looked over at Hammy. He was wide-eyed, listening intently as the much larger officer was yelling in his face. I know it was you. What the hell were you two thinking? What did you take? Empty your pockets. Now. I looked at her and then back at Hammy, who was on the verge of tears. She leaned into my line of vision and said,
1: Hey, everything is going to be okay. Just let me know what happened.
0: I wasn't sure what Hammy would say to them, but we were caught red-handed, and I trusted this lady. Besides, we hadn't done anything that bad, so I admitted, we went in their house.
1: Did you take anything?
0: She asked. No, but I did turn their music up. We were in there for a couple of minutes, and they saw us on our way out. So we ran, I said.
1: Okay, I'm going to hear what your friend has to say and then we need to call your parents. What's their number?
0: I gave her your number, and then she left to speak with her partner. Emmy and I scooted closer together. Dude, we're so fucked. He said quietly. I don't know, man, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, no, we're not. That guy said we're definitely going to jail. He whispered through his teeth while slightly nodding his head toward the guy cop. Really? My cop was super nice. He looked offended like it wasn't fair. What did you tell them? I told her we went in and then just left. I told him I took a coke, and he flipped. Who gives a shit about a coke, man? They would never have even noticed it was missing. He caught himself, lowering his voice, he added. I thought that cop was going to hit me. I thought he was going to hit you too. I laughed and then added. She said we'd be in more trouble if we wasted their time, so I just told her. Man, why was that old ass lady here? He asked. I just shook my head at him and shrugged my shoulders. My lady cop came back over and she asked me to get up and talk to her away from Hammy.
1: My partner just told me your friend said he took something. Do you know anything about that?
0: She had her hands on her hips and I could tell she was looking for any sign I might be lying. No, we were only there for about five minutes, tops.
1: How about a coke?
0: She raised her eyebrows as if she had caught me in a lie. I don't know ma'am, I don't remember seeing him with the soda. It all happened so fast, ya yeah, know. I knew he had already admitted to taking one, but I didn't want to unintentionally provide any additional information that might get him into more trouble, so I played dumb. I couldn't believe we would get arrested for stealing a soda. Hemi didn't even get a chance to drink the damn thing. When those people went into their house to see if we took anything, the fridge was the last place they would check. She was fishing for more information, or she was legitimately going to arrest us over a measly buck fifty. When I saw your truck pulling into the parking lot, I considered asking them to take me to jail instead of having to talk to you. Once the family had finished looking through their house and found nothing missing, they decided not to press charges over the soda, and we were allowed to go home. The police made us apologize to them before we could leave. Getting that close to being handcuffed and taken away informed all my future run-ins with the police. I would forever err on the side of honesty, focusing on what to admit rather than building a lie. Hemi's parents came and got him, and we were both grounded for a long time, but I kept sneaking out every night. A couple of nights later, the frat bros we were fucking with caught me alone in the middle of the night. Shannon was back at home on a break from college. He brought his skateboard, a practically unridden complete with the red and white OG logo shorties deck. This was during the height of Chad Muska's fame, so I thought the board was super cool. He refused to let me ride it though. He didn't want to get any scratches on it. I couldn't understand the concept. Riding a skateboard without scratches is like owning a clean shovel. Either you're not using that shovel, or you're using it wrong. When you both had gone to bed for the night, I snuck out my window with his board. The church we had recently almost gotten arrested at had a couple of small gaps in parking lot medians you could skate. I skated there for a while, waiting for my girlfriend and her friend to show up, but they never came. After 30 minutes, I finally left for their house and tapped on her window, but they shooed me away and said they had been caught sneaking out and were now grounded. Dejected and bored, I started skating back to the house. I was skating on the sidewalk, pushing hard and carving each curb cut at every street intersection, when a big truck passed by me, close to the curb. They stopped about 30 feet in front of me, and two guys jumped out and approached me. They looked like your typical run-of-the-mill frat dudes, but I didn't recognize them. We had always picked our laser victims indiscriminately from the crowd and did it from far away. Considering how pissed they now appeared, it seemed pretty clear they recognized me. Part 8. Yearbook Photos The first guy to speak had blonde hair tucked under a baseball cap. He stopped just in front of me, off to my right side, and asked, What the fuck you say? What, me? I didn't say anything. I was standing with one foot on the tail of my brother's board, and I had my shoulder shrugged. The other guy was off to my left side and said, We heard you say something, what the fuck did you say?" I looked over at him and scoffed. Ha, I seriously have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just skating down the street. I turned and looked at the guy on my right. I was opening my mouth, about to ask him what he thought he had heard when everything went black. I didn't feel the punch, I just felt the ground. The world was shimmering at the end of a black tunnel. That tunnel was closing when one of them kicked me in the middle of my back, and I immediately regained my awareness. I grunted and instinctively recoiled into a small ball just in time to block the kicks that would have hit me in my face. They kicked my arms, trying to get past them at my head, and they alternated from kicking me with the toes of their boots to stomping me with their heels. It wasn't until they had started kicking me in the ribs that I realized I was getting my ass beat. It had all happened so quickly, and I was just reacting without knowing what was happening. By the time I realized I was in a fight, the fight was over. They ran back to their truck and drove off. I jumped up, hoping to see a license plate, but they were too far away, and I wasn't wearing my glasses. My hat had fallen off at some point. I started looking around for it, but it wasn't anywhere nearby. I couldn't believe they had taken it. An unnecessary insult to injury. I gave up looking for it quickly and decided to head home when I realized my brother's board was also gone. Oh shit, I thought. No, no, no. I frantically started looking around, afraid I was going to get my ass beat twice that night. I began hopping fences near where I had fallen, hoping they had tossed it over. I looked for as long as I could, but my head was throbbing, and I wanted to go home. I hiked through the ditches trying to stay off the main road. The street that took you back to the house was the same street that would take you past Fraternity Row. I got back to the house and quietly knocked on my brother's door before walking in. What do you want? He asked in a groggy, sleep filled voice. Hey, I lost your board. I was standing motionless in the dark.
1: What? What do you mean? My skateboard?
0: I could hear him sit up in the bed. I was starting to pick out silhouettes in the room as my eyes adjusted. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was skating it when I got jumped by two dudes and they took it. Wait, what? Are you okay? He shot up out of bed and turned on the light. He inspected my beat-up face and had me walk him through what had happened. He seemed to forget about his board completely, and I was so thankful for that. To me, it had been the worst part of the entire ordeal. He threw some clothes on, grabbed a miniature Colorado Rockies baseball bat, and then woke you up. You were equally pissed off that I had been jumped, and the three of us climbed into the truck to look for them. When I was walking back to the house, I thought about how much trouble I would be in for sneaking out. I thought about not telling you and attempting to cover it up somehow but there was nothing that could have happened in my sleep that would explain the bumps and bruises on my face in the morning. I knew Shannon would be pissed about his board, and you would be angry I had snuck out again, but I also needed you both at the same time, a feeling I would later learn to live with as I struggled with addiction but was too afraid to seek help. I was not only surprised that I wasn't in trouble, but we were now going to find and beat these guys up. I was sitting in the back seat, riding a fresh surge of adrenaline, scanning the road for the vague description of a red truck I had given. I had no interest in vehicles so I didn't even have a good guess on the make or model. I was also colorblind, so the odds of us finding them were slim to none, but you and Shannon stopped every red truck we saw on the road at 2 in the morning. I felt so loved and protected that night. This was the older brother I expected and had largely missed out on when he left for college. This was the dad I wanted you to be. Skateboarding was my thing, and it was something neither of you understood. This could have been the perfect opportunity to point out that it wasn't safe or that I shouldn't be out at night. There was no I told you so or anything about how I had screwed up somehow. None of that mattered, it was about being there for me when I needed you regardless of any mistakes I may have made. I was going to have my revenge, and I almost felt bad for these shit-kicking frat boys. Almost. We drove around for three hours with no luck and confronted several innocent people when you stopped the last truck of the night at the gas station. It was a good match, and Shannon excitedly grabbed his bat and jumped out. The older woman who stepped out of her maroon truck to pump her gas looked terrified as the two of you approached. You apologized over your shoulder as you hurriedly climbed back in the driver's seat, ready to keep looking. Dad, I asked as we started pulling away. Yeah, buddy? You didn't take your eyes off the road. I could tell you felt bad that you hadn't protected me, and finding them would make up for that somehow. Can we go to the hospital now? The adrenaline was all gone, and my top teeth were no longer lining up with my bottom teeth. My jaw had slowly shifted over the past few hours, and now I couldn't close my mouth. Yeah, you okay? You looked back at me, and I saw the expression dawn across your face as you realized, maybe for the first time, that I had gotten hurt when they jumped me. My brother dropped us off at the emergency room, and you and I waited for the doctor to arrive for about four hours. You filed the police report, and they continued our search, albeit in a likely more organized and legal way. When the doctor finally walked in, his hair was standing up on one side, and he appeared to have just woken up. He reviewed my x-rays and found that my jaw had been broken. You updated my case with the police officer assigned to us, and I slept all morning the following day. I woke up to the sound of talking in the kitchen. The police had come by to update us on what they had found. They stopped at a party, and a girl had told them she overheard two men bragging about the kid they had beaten up. She mentioned them stealing my board, where it happened, and other details that removed all doubt of whether or not she had the right people. She gave them their names and now the police were at our house to see if I could identify them. He pulled out a high school yearbook and flipped it open to a page with a tab in it. He spun the book around and pushed it toward me on the table. Can you identify one of the men from last night in any of these photos, son? I looked down at the book and tried to match my foggy memory with the grainy yearbook photos. It all happened so fast that I could barely recognize any solid features besides their hair color. Not to mention I had a head injury. This task felt unreasonable. These cops had a witness that described everything that happened and even gave them their names. How about you do some investigative work? Maybe you could talk to the guys involved. Any chance they own a red truck? Why am I trying to identify them by what they look like in high school? A kid with short brown hair was in the second to last row of pictures. He had a cheesy smile, but I could picture him scowling at me in the dark just before he sucker punched me. That's him, I said, pointing to the picture. Part 9. Toxic Masculinity. Hum. Our assigned police officer grunted. He took the book from me, closed it, and then turned toward you to say, Sorry, sir.
1: There's not much else we can do. Since he cannot positively identify the persons who did
0: this, our hands are tied. Give us a call if any more information becomes available. You followed him out the door, arguing that there must be something we could do, but there was no use. I wasn't getting justice, and their ineptitude would sour my opinion of cops for a long time after that. In hindsight, I would have gained nothing from those kids going to jail for jumping me, and I probably had it coming anyway. As for the police, I would go on to have many more run-ins with them, and I was fortunate enough to have been given my own second chances. On my 21st birthday, we got caught smoking a blunt in a park, but the cop simply snuffed it out with his shoe and told us to go home. There was also the night Miho finally got his driver's license, and he was supposed to meet me at a party when he got off work. Just before he arrived, some overly aggressive UFC fanboy was trying to fight Kevin, our favorite little skate park kid that had become one of the boys. Since I was already several whiskeys in, I told him I'd fight him if he wanted a real fight. He agreed and squared up with me, I immediately drove my right shoulder into his stomach and lifted his left leg with my arm, I picked him up and slammed him as hard as I could into the ground, smashing my own face into the gravel simultaneously, I scrambled to my feet and tried to shake off the stars, but fanboy was done, he was writhing on the ground, gasping for air, I spit on the ground, told him to leave my friends alone, and then I puffed out my chest as I basked in the warm glow of toxic masculinity. Miho was pulling up just as everyone was returning to what they were doing before the brief fight broke out. I was ready to leave and convinced Miho that he was too. I followed him back to his house and tailgated him the entire way, trying to make him nervous with his shiny new driver's license and lack of experience. We passed a cop on the way, and he sped up behind me with his lights flashing. I started pulling over, and Miho turned down a side street, leaving the cop and me alone. He walked up to my window and shone his light in my face. What happened to you? Excuse me, sir. I knew I was drunk, but his question confused me. You have much to drink tonight. He waved the light in my eyes, moved it to the side, and then shone it in my eyes again. I had a little bit of whiskey earlier tonight, sir. I pointed to the bed of my truck where my guitar, amps, and keyboards were. I played a show earlier tonight and had some whiskey on stage but I never drink that much. It makes it too hard to play. What happened to your head? He asked. I glanced in the rearview mirror and saw my face was covered in blood leaking from a cut I had on my forehead. I was momentarily confused but remembered slamming the fanboy onto the ground earlier. Oh wow, I said. I was wrestling around with a friend earlier. I knew we had bumped heads, but I had no idea it was so bad. Step out of the car please. He backed away and waited for me to get out. Do you know why I pulled you over? Probably because I was driving so close to that car, right? I shrugged my shoulders. That was the buddy I was wrestling with earlier. He just got his driver's license and I was messing with him a little. He lives right around the corner about one block from here. Well, you better call your friend to come get you because I'm not letting you drive tonight. He had me sit on the curb and call Mio. After I made the call, the cop just left me on the side of the road. He warned me that he would be driving back around, and if he caught me in my truck, he'd arrest me on sight. I followed his commands, not wanting to push my luck. It's hypocritical of me to want justice for getting jumped when this cop had just let me off the hook. He pulled me over when I was obviously drunk, driving recklessly, and unaware that I was covered in blood. This guy had done me a favor that I didn't deserve. Had I not been caught by cool cop after cool cop, I would have a criminal record that would have prevented me from ever joining the military. Something that changed my life for the better. There's a chance the cop we were assigned let these frat bros off the hook too. Considering all the times I was allowed to go home, I can't complain about the frat dudes getting their opportunity. I made it back to Montana one last time the following summer, but it was starting to feel pointless. My old friends all had their own lives now. The first year I came back to Montana, I would hang out with everyone all summer. Now, it was just one night of debauchery, and then everyone would resume their usual routines. I'd waste the rest of the summer smoking weed in my mom's shed, alone in the backyard. The rumors about us were also starting to get worse. I have a theory that when my mom started spreading rumors about you, she was showered with compassion and empathy for what she had endured. She then recognized that the love and support she was getting could fill the gap where her family used to be. Not unlike my hypochondriac ex-girlfriend, who faked a brain tumor for attention, my mom feigned physical and emotional abuse to gain the sympathy of those in town. Her story morphed from infidelity to physical abuse. Initially, the response to those stories was relatively extreme, and people were shocked to hear you could do such things. Their opinions of you had changed. Now, hearing more about that story stopped eliciting the same response. My mother's craving for attention wasn't satiated, so she needed to intensify the egregiousness of your actions. Once she had trashed your reputation, nobody was surprised by any story she could fabricate. To maintain the level of sympathy she was accustomed to, she started telling people how her kids were hurting her too. I couldn't be sure what was true when I heard things about the two of you that I had no personal experience with, but it was getting harder to believe anything she was saying about you after hearing some of the things she was saying about me. I again left Montana early and had decided I'd not be coming back next year. I had my own life in Texas and wanted to spend summers with my new friends. The summer was the only contact I had with my mom, and when I stopped coming for the summer, I stopped hearing from her on special occasions too. Neither of us put in the effort to maintain contact, and life went on. One night, back in Texas, I heard a knock at my window. I cracked the blinds and saw my friend Toad crouched in our bushes. I opened my window and crawled out to meet him outside. Toad had a hectic family life. I remember going to his house after school, and he fought with his brother. His brother hit him with a broom handle and knocked him unconscious. They always fought that intensely, but it was nothing compared to the beatings he'd get from his stepdad. This night, Toad feared for his life and didn't want to go home. Toad and I both climbed back through the window, and he stayed with us that night. He stayed the next night too. A week turned into a month, and I decided to ask permission for him to stay so we wouldn't have to keep sneaking around. He told you about everything happening at his house and you agreed to let him stay. He had my old room and I took my brothers. We also became full-on MacGyver potheads known for building unique pipes and bonds.